Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we will be looking at a sermon by Pastor Dana O'Brien on the book of Jonah. We hope you find meaning in this message. Remember those, those Jay Leno man on the street interviews um, from the Tonight Show? It was a while ago. Um, Leno would go out and he'd ask ordinary people questions that they should know, but invariably they didn't, okay? And because it was questions they should know but didn't, Bible, um, Bible questions were always really popular because it's amazing how little we all know about the Bible, right? So one night, Leno corners these college kids and he asks them this question. Who, according to the Bible, was eaten by a whale? The confidence answer, Pinocchio. Now, 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 before we start throwing stones, most of us probably know that the correct answer is not Pinocchio, it's Geppetto, right? No, oh wait, oh, it's, it's Jonah, okay, it's Jonah. But I'm guessing that many of us, and I put myself in this category until fairly recently when I went to seminary, I'm guessing that many of us don't know a whole lot more about the book of Jonah other than the fact that Jonah was eaten by a whale and at some point spit up again, right? So, as we've done a couple of times um, in the past, we're going to start out the new year with an emphasis on Bible reading. And so if you've been with us for a long time, you know that every once in a while we try this, and it, and it works. Um, back in 2018, we, we read through the entire Bible using the story, which was an easier way to understand it. And then in 2021, we read through the New Testament using the book, The Essential Jesus. Um, so today, we're going to start this new year by exploring the Old Testament book of Jonah, okay? And it just so happens to be the first time that, at least while I've been here, that we've actually tackled a book in the Bible, okay? Usually we, we get some help through some other things, but we're going we're gonna to tackle a biblical book. And I will admit it is the first time that I, in my entire ministry career, which isn't all that long, have tackled an Old Testament book. As you know, the Old Testament is not my go-to place. So, before we start, let me, again, let me put in a plug for those Bibles um, that we've got sitting on the table over there. They're not just there for looks. Um, they are used, but really, I would love it if they were all gone by the end of the day um, because they are free. So if you need one, take one, um, but, and they come with a caveat, if you take one, you have to use it, okay? And I'm not talking about using it as a paperweight or a bookend. I'm talking about actually reading it, okay? Now, you don't have to read all of it. I've never read all of it. Some people out there have. I'm not one of them. Um, but at a minimum, I'm going to ask you to read the book of Jonah that we're going to be looking at, okay? So, before we get into the story itself, here is a little background, and this is the part in the service where everybody starts flipping their Bibles open. You flip aimlessly through the middle, and then you realize you don't know where it is, so you go to the index, and then you, and then you go to the, the book of Jonah. And if you have one of these red ones, it's at page 1441, okay, 1441. And if you're using a phone app, that's great too. Um, just, just pull it out. Jonah is found near the end of the Old Testament. Um, he's one of the minor prophets. He's right after Obadiah and before Micah. And as I said, if you've got this book, it's 1441. Jonah is a little different from the other biblical prophets um, in that the book of Jonah is not so much about what Jonah says. Normally, the books of the prophets are filled with oracles of God that the prophets are supposed to share to the people of Israel. Jonah isn't about what God says so much as it's about what Jonah does, or in this case, Jonah doesn't do, okay? Um, and by extension, it's about us, by what we do and by what we often don't do, okay? And 
this part we've talked about a couple of times. Almost every time we tackle um, reading the Bible, we talk about, about how the ELCA, how ELCA Lutherans uh, read the Bible. And I, as you may remember, I did not grow up in the ELCA. I grew up in the Missouri Synod, so this was all really new to me when I, when I first became a pastor. Um, well, there really was a prophet Jonah um, who pro prophesied to King Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BCE. And this is important. Pretty much all, all, all Jewish scholars and lots of Christian scholars understand the biblical book of Jonah not as a history book, okay, but more as a satire or a parable written hundreds of years after the, the actual person Jonah lived, okay? And like many of Jesus' parables, the story uses hyperbole, it uses irony, it uses humor to communicate some important and challenging moral truths about God and humanity. Now, I know that there are lots of Christians who understand Jonah as an historical book. Indeed, I will tell you that the book I'm reading from right now portrays this book as historical, okay? It's, and that's fine. It is not going to take away from one's ability to learn and, and get, get, um, get information and, and teachings out of the book. It's fine. As I've said a number of times, I was, I was one of those people who for most of my life understood everything in here as historically happening. Only relatively recently, i.e. when I went to seminary, um, I learned that the Bible contains lots of different types of literature, okay? And it makes sense to figure out what type of literature we're reading and then read it accordingly. We don't read Dear Abby the same way we read the Wall Street Journal, and we read neither of those things the way we read the sports columns today. We don't read any of that like we, we read Aesop's Fables. We, once you figure out the type of literature, you expect certain things and you read it accordingly. But, um, and it's really important to remember that the determination, and lots of people have hang-ups over this, the determination of, of what kind of genre this book is, I, is it history, is it satire, whatever, is, has nothing to do with the miracles that are in it. Okay, absolutely nothing. God is God. If, if God wants to, God can have somebody eaten by a fish. God can keep the person there. God can transform an entire city overnight. That, that's, that's not an issue. We know that God is sovereign and powerful and can do all sorts of miracles. Goodness sakes, if we believe that God created the earth and God raised God's son, all this other stuff is, is icing on the cake, right? It has nothing to do with the miracles. Rather, it has to do with determining what kind of genre it is, what, how, what the author was trying to say and how the author was trying to write it, which is why when we look at Old Testament books, one of the most important places we go to is how do Jewish people understand it? How do Jewish scholars read it? And as I said, most Jew Jewish scholars, all, almost all Jewish scholars, read this as a, as a satire or as a parable, okay? Now, you guys, this is a really important topic, and I, it's hard to deal with in just a paragraph. Um, it's something that lots of Christians have trouble with, um, especially if you're coming from a more conservative tradition like I did. And so if you have any questions about it, come and see me. Maybe it's time to do another Bible study or something on it, because it's, 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 it's a really, really important topic. Anyway, what I found is that when I stopped trying to read Jonah as history, okay, and instead I see it as a parable or satire, I'm not so focused on trying to prove or defend or figure out how it was that Jonah was eaten by a whale. Are there types of whales that have big throats? I mean, it, none of that matters, right? How he stayed there for three days. How it was that an entire city of 600,000 people repented, um, and it's not mentioned anywhere in any other non-biblical event, right? Questions like that. Instead, 
I can toss, I mean, not that that isn't important, but, but I don't need to focus on that. I can focus on what are the themes in this book? What is this short 48 verse book? And that's all it is, 48 verses. What's it trying to tell me about God? What's it trying to tell me about me? Okay, so that's where we're going these next three weeks. What is this book telling us about me? More importantly, what is this book telling us about God? So today we're going to look at chapter one, okay? And in the next weeks we're going to do chapters two and three, and in the following final week we're going to look at chapter four. And I feel pretty silly saying this right after I told you to take those Bibles over there and read them, but it might be helpful if you don't read ahead, so don't read chapter four until we get to chapter four, or right before we get to chapter four. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is because like many of Jesus' parables, which, you know, which we've looked at and we're familiar with, this story has lots of unexpected twists and turns. And like the parables, it's often in the twists and the turns where we hear the surprising and really challenging lessons that, that hit us, okay? And so you, it's like the Good Samaritan. You know, if you know the story ahead of time, you don't realize the importance of the Samaritan who acts out of, unlike, unlike the two, the two uh, Jewish people that come before him. So let's begin. Um, I'm going to read all of chapter one. You can either read with me, or you can just listen, close your eyes, do whatever it is you do when, when somebody's reading the Bible to you. So, Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him, and he, I can imagine him shaking him, saying, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and we can guess, the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What, what kind of work do you do, and why do you come, where do you come from, and where is your country? What kind of people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now this terrified the sailors even more, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Now the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah's response, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now instead, the, the men did their best to row back to dry land, but they couldn't. They couldn't, for the sea grew even more wild than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And this, after this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, that's chapter one. See, and we thought, we thought he'd get swallowed by fish right, right away, but there's a lot that's going on there, right? Okay, so... 
Remember that I just said that one of the hallmarks of parables is that surprising things happen and characters do things that we wouldn't expect them for, to do. So we don't have to get too far in the story to, to see that's exactly what happens. We start off, we start off with Jonah getting an assignment from God. Okay? He's supposed to do what prophets normally do. He's supposed to take a message from God to certain people. Um, all of which is, is perfectly normal, except, as I mentioned, I might have mentioned before, usually prophets speak to the, the people of Israel, and Jonah is actually sent to Nineveh, um, the capital of Assyria, who, who just happened to be sworn enemies of the Israelites. So right away, so right away, after that first, first two verses, we're a little taken aback, and we, we know that this isn't going to be an ordinary story, okay? It's already just a little different than we would expect. And by verse 3, by verse 3, you've got to be scratching your heads, right? Because this isn't what prophets do, right? This, I mean, they may complain a little, but, but prophets always do what God tells them to do. They always take the message to the people they're supposed to take it to. But here, without any explanation whatsoever, with Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh to do what God calls him to do, Jonah does the exact opposite. I mean the exact opposite. He doesn't even stay where he is. He rushes off to Joppa, he finds a boat, and he sets sail for Tarshish. Okay? So it will help here to know a bit of geography. Okay? Um, Nineveh, so Jonah is in Gath Hepper in the northern part of, of Israel, one of the ten, ten northern tribes. And so Nineveh is. Um, about 550 miles north and east of where Jonah was located. It's a major city on the banks of the Tigris River. It's in modern-day Iraq, and it's near the city of modern-day Mosul. Okay? Tarshish, on the other hand, was far to the west. You can see it way over there. Scholars aren't exactly sure. They think it may have been in Spain. But it's in the, the key is, it's in the very opposite direction of the direction that God told Jonah to go in. Okay? It would be like God telling some of us to go to preach to the people in New York, and we run to the airport, and we grab the first flight to Hawaii. Right? Okay? Jonah's intent was to get as far away as he could from the place that God told him to go to. Indeed, verse 3 tells us, and it tells us twice, that Jonah was running away from God. Okay? Again, not what a prophet would normally do. And as a prophet, Jonah knows that running away from God is impossible. But he's, he is so intent, so intent on not doing what God calls him to do, that that's his plan. Okay? Now, we could hazard a couple of guesses as to why Jonah does what he does. Maybe, maybe he was afraid. After all, not only were the Assyrians hated enemies of the Jews, but they were also, they were also known for their extreme cruelty and, and barbarism. And I'm not going to go into the details here, but you know, imagine, um, oh, what's that? King of uh, Thrones, what's that? what's that? Game of Thrones. Imagine that to the nth degree, okay? Now, and so it's very possible that maybe Jonah didn't want to be the bearer of bad news to a bunch of really violent Ninevites who would as soon, soon as kill him as look at him, okay? Or, or maybe this was just too hard a job and, and Jonah didn't feel up to it. He just wasn't the right guy for the job. As readers, we don't, we don't know. We don't know why Jonah disobeys God. We don't know at this point. We find out in chapter 4, which is why I'm saying, you know, you might want to hang on to chapter 4 for a little bit. All we know at this point is that God says to go this way, and Jonah decides that he knows better, he doesn't want to obey God, so he goes this way, okay? So, the first thing that jumps out to me as I'm reading here is, geez, geez, sometimes I am a lot like Jonah. I'm a lot like Jonah. I too 
I too am called by God and on occasion, maybe more occasions than I would like to admit, I too run the other way. And I'm betting, I'm betting I'm not alone here. Some of you out here may do it, some of you at home may be doing it, right? As God's children, as followers of Jesus, we are all, we are all called to live by God's kingdom values, right? We are all called to do what Jesus would do, and sometimes that's really hard, okay? And sometimes, most of the time, that, that call means that we're living differently from a lot of the rest of the world. It's hard, and sometimes, like Jonah, what God asks us to do, and we, we gener sometimes, sometimes there are real questions about what God's calling us to do, but oftentimes we know, okay? Oftentimes, usually, it's not that hard to figure out what God wants us to do. But oftentimes, what God wants us to do takes us to places or takes us to people that we would just prefer not to go to, right? Just prefer not to go to. So the new year, you know, at the end of the year, people often take stock of their life, and at the new year, they, they take stock of life, figure out where things are going, new year, time to... Th so let's take th stock of things. And I wonder, as, as each of us, as all of you, are considering the things that are going on in your life, what's your Nineveh? What's, what's your Nineveh? What is, what is that thing that maybe God may be calling you to do that for whatever reason, you just don't want to do it. You just don't want to do it. Maybe, maybe it's welcoming or reconciling with somebody. Maybe it's forgiving someone or, or asking for forgiveness from someone. Maybe it's a change in priority. Maybe it's giving up something that, that gets in the way of your relationship with God and with others. Maybe it's simply something that, that Take, when you take on will upset your status quo. It will mess with your plans. I don't know what it is, but I'm betting we all have something or more than one something. And of course, the same thing applies to all of us here at Cross of Glory as a congregation, right? We ask this all the time, all the time, because that's how we, that's how we move forward. What is God planning for us here this year? Right? What is God calling us to do that may challenge or change us? And I guarantee you that pretty much everything God calls us to do as a congregation is designed to challenge and change us. We've talked about it lots of times. God's good news is at first comfort. It, it comforts the afflicted. And when we are afflicted, we are comforted. But when we get too comfortable, right, God's good news afflicts us. We're going to be talking in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about our welcome statement. That's a comforting welcome statement to know that, that you should be able to see yourself up there on that statement over that door. You should know that you are welcome here. And then you pause and you read it and you go, shoot, a lot of other people that I might not want to welcome are also welcome here. That's the challenge in that statement. After that, we're going to talk about stewardship. And if you aren't challenged by stewardship, you're a much better person than I. So. God is calling us to do something, to change us, to, to, to make us more of, of the people that God has called us to be and to help us change the rest of the world around us, right? Now, maybe our running away isn't quite as obvious as Jonah's. Maybe, maybe we pretend we can't hear, or maybe we say, well, we're too busy with other stuff to do right now, but we'll get to this later on. But, but we're running. We're running nevertheless. And so that question that, that Jonah prompts us to ask of ourselves is really, really important. So let's back, jump back into the story. Like most of us, 
Jonah knows that he can't run from God's presence. He's a prophet. He knows the stuff. He knows the answers. In fact, he tells people that, that he worships the God who created the land and the sea. Well, running to the sea isn't going to get you away from God's presence if he created it. And indeed, God counters Jonah's flight by making his presence very well known, right? First with a, a storm, a storm that's, that's so big that the ship is in danger of breaking up, and then with the actions of the ship's captain and sailors who modeled for Jonah the characteristics that Jonah should be exhibiting himself, okay? So this is one of those situations where, where you see irony in this book. Jonah's the prophet. He should be doing the moral stuff. He should be doing the praying. He's not doing any of that. It's the captain, it's the sailors that model for Jonah uh, the actions that he should be taking. First they pray for the deliverance of the ship, and, and then even when Jonah admits that he's the cause of the storm and the only way to stop it is to throw him overboard, they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They're risking their lives and they try other alternatives first, lightening the cargo, how to get the ship back. To the, they, they don't want to do it until it gets so bad that they have no other choice. Now, uh, throughout this gospel or this story, three or four times Jonah asks to die. And, and here, Jonah would rather die than obey God. But Jonah is kind of a, kind of a whiny kind of guy, and here he's really passive-aggressive. Okay? He, he wants to die, but he doesn't want to do it. I mean, he could take care of this by just jumping over the, the side, right? But he wants the sailors to do it. He wants to put it on them. Okay? I'm not going to say that any of us ever do that, but Jonah is a little passive-aggressive. Okay? But when it comes clear that, that nothing else can save the ship, the sailors do. They do it. They throw him overboard. And at the same time, they're busy asking God for God's mercy. And when the storm immediately stops, all the sailors are converted from the pagan gods that they used to worship to worshiping the, the God of Jonah, the God of the Hebrews, the Lord. But, and here's the end of the story, despite Jonah's death wish, God doesn't give up on him. And at the very end of chapter 1, God sends a big fish to save Jonah from drowning. Now, when I was a kid, I thought that, that Jonah being eaten by the whale was the punishment. I mean, you know, you never think of being eaten by a whale as a good thing. But here, it was a really, really good thing because had, had the fish not swallowed him, Jonah would have definitely drowned. And of course, you guys, here's the thing. Jonah ran, and God could have let him run, right? God could have let him run, but God didn't. God didn't. Instead, God went to some very, very creative lengths to bring Jonah back. And this we know, okay? The second thing that comes out of this first chapter. God doesn't give up on any of us either. This is really important. God doesn't give up on any of us. Even when we run, even when we blatantly ignore God's call and refuse to obey, choosing to go our way rather than God's way, God doesn't let us go alone. God comes after us. God loves us so much that God is willing to do anything to get us back. God is willing to do anything to get us back. And of course, the lengths to which God was willing to go are no better evidenced than the Christmas story. In the Christmas story that we've just celebrated for you know, a number of weeks, God loves us so much that God came down to earth to find us. God gave us God's very own son to reconcile us with that God who loves us. Second point, so people, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how much we've disobeyed God or tried to run and hide for God. It doesn't matter how low we've sunk or how often we've thumbed our nose at God's invitation. God loves us. God loves us and God will come after you to bring you home no matter what. Sometimes God has to take some somewhat unusual measures to bring us back to our senses. 
But God is not going to let us ground. God is not going to let us go. And that, my friends, that, my friends, is very, very, very good news. So today, we leave Jonah in the belly of the great fish, and he'll stay there for like a week, a little longer than the, the book says. And next week, we'll find out how God's love touches Jonah and the Ninevites, because we're again reminded that there is no one too hidden or too far gone to experience God's grace. So go ahead, take a Bible over there, or use the one you've got at home or on your tablets or your phones, and read what happens next in Jonah chapters 2 and 3. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. This podcast has been produced by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit us at crossofglory.com, where you can learn more about the church, its community involvement, and see previous services and sermons. We are also on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. Sunday mornings for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. Todd Mazera created our original music, and I'm Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.